You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Erin Delaney, the Director of Healthcare Policy here at the Progressive Policy Institute. I'm honored to be here today with the former Health and Human Services Secretary, Kathleen Sebelius, to celebrate the 13th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act and to discuss how important the law has been in lowering health care costs for Americans. We'll also be talking about how critical the ACA has been as the country continues to face the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we'll also be discussing what's next on the horizon for health reform. During her time as a former secretary of HHS, Secretary Sebelius helped spearhead the ACA and implemented reforms that helped millions of uninsured Americans get health coverage. She also worked with doctors, nurses, hospital leaders, employers, and patients to slow the growth in health care costs through better care and better health. Secretary Sebelius also previously served as the governor of Kansas from 2003 until her cabinet appointment in April 2009 and was named one of America's top five governors by Time magazine. Currently, Secretary Sebelius is the CEO of Sebelius Resources, LLC. She chairs the board of Humicide and serves on the boards of directors of Devoted Health, Exact Sciences, and Included Health. She continues policy work with the Kaiser Family Foundation and also co-leads the health strategy group for the Aspen Institute. Secretary Sebelius, it's such a privilege to get to speak with you today. Thank you so much for being here today. So, Secretary, America is celebrating the 13th anniversary of the ACA, which, as we know, transformed the way the U.S. healthcare system provides health insurance coverage and controls healthcare costs and also modified how healthcare is delivered. For those of us who are not around or cognizant of healthcare coverage dynamics pre ACA, can you briefly describe what health coverage and the healthcare system was like? Sure, Erin. It's good to be with you. I think that it's hard to imagine what the Wild West was like over 13 years ago, but for a significant number of Americans, millions of Americans, there were really no rules around how insurance was delivered. So individuals had medical underwriting, which meant that a company had an opportunity to ask a lot of questions and deny coverage altogether or deny coverage for people who had a specific health issue. So they would cover everything but your heart if you were a heart attack survivor or cover everything but your cancer if you were a cancer survivor. Women frequently were charged up to double what their male colleagues were charged because the insurance companies knew that if you were a woman, you may be of childbearing age, and that was more complicated and could be more expensive. So there were no rules about gender discrimination. People were locked out of policies, locked into policies. Uh, Prices went up or down, and you could be dropped altogether. If you had insurance for a number of years and then had an illness, a company could drop you. So all of those guardrails that ensured that individuals who got sick or were in fact recovering from some illness were able to buy health insurance at an affordable price change with the Affordable Care Act. 
Wow. So very glad the ACA was passed and we are not in that situation any longer. Um, So, Secretary, I know it was quite the battle getting the support needed to get the ACA to the finish line. Can you talk a little bit about that process and why Republicans were so stridently opposed to the ACA? Well, it was a process that really was unique in history because not only was there a big battle to get the law passed and that became more complicated when the Democrats in the Senate lost uh, the 60th vote with the death of Ted Kennedy. And in January of 2010, a Republican was elected to take his seat. And that meant that the bill that had passed the House and a separate bill passed the Senate and the end of 2009 could not be negotiated into a conference committee bill and come back through both the House and the Senate. The only way to get a law passed at that point was to have Speaker Nancy Pelosi take the Senate bill back through the House. And they were very different bills. And for a while, it appeared that that was going to be a challenge that would be too steep because a lot of the House members weren't really fond of the Senate bill, which I would say was a more conservative version, less generous to people in terms of subsidies, less generous in terms of Medicaid. But Speaker Pelosi managed to pull off some legislative magic and indeed the bill passed, the Senate bill passed the House. But then the real battle began, which had never been seen before in history, which was that immediately Republicans who could not stop the passage of the bill decided that they would double down on stopping the implementation of the law, which was going to take several years. And 12 attorneys general, um, Republican attorneys general, filed a constitutional challenge about 10 minutes after the president signed the law on March 23rd. And that began what was a unending series of litigation, legislative battles, Republicans refusing to allocate money to implement the bill, the real campaign of misinformation uh, that was relentless about everything from the fact that the bill contained death panels for Medicare recipients to the fact that everybody with health insurance was going to lose their doctor and lose their plan. And it made it very, very difficult and complicated. But I think the the real issue was defined by uh, Mitch McConnell, who was then the minority leader of the Senate. And a few days before the midterm elections, in a fundraising speech, he declared that his most important job as a Republican leader And the most important job of the Republican Party was to make sure that Barack Obama was a one-term president. And the best way to do that was stopping the Affordable Care Act. So litigation, legislative challenges, votes to repeal and replace continued up until the 1st of October when, October of 2013, when open enrollment was beginning. And at that point, the Republicans shut down the government for 16 days. And we had to furlough 40,000 people at HHS. And there were about 800,000 federal employees who were furloughed for 16 days. So they were attempting to use every possible strategy to stop the bill from being implemented. Because here's what they knew. And they were correct in this assumption that once 
the Affordable Care Act started. Once people actually engaged in the insurance market, had affordable health insurance, took advantage of the expanded Medicaid benefits, that it would be impossible to get rid of the law. And that's exactly what happened. So, Secretary, what would have happened if the ACA was not implemented during the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, what would have happened if the Trump administration and congressional Republicans had succeeded in killing the ACA during the repeal and replace era of 2017? Well, I think that the tragedy that America endured during COVID-19 would have been significantly worse because in spite of the laws that existed, we still suffered over a million deaths in America. But imagine a situation where many people who would be taken to a hospital would not have had any resources to pay for the treatment, that vaccines would have not been covered as preventive care, which was guaranteed by the Affordable Care Act, that people could not have had access to the testing that they had because that also was preventive care covered by the Affordable Care Act. And that, you know, in the intervening years, uh, in the last 13 years, what we know is that the health outcomes for individuals who acquired affordable insurance for their families got better, that people were able to have regular checkups and cancer screenings and take advantage of vaccines that were available, get flu shots, all of which were under the Affordable Care Act as preventive care, if that had not occurred, the health of Americans would have further deteriorated and I think would have led to far more deaths and serious illnesses. And then we could have easily bankrupted a healthcare system, which already took the brunt of the COVID patients, but they would not have been reimbursed for that effort. They would not have had any financial support going forward by insured Americans to pay for the care that they received. And so it would have been a really dire situation in this country. Yeah, I mean, I know President Biden recently made remarks in Virginia Beach last month about Republicans threatening to repeal or cut parts of the ACA. And as we look to this next election cycle, how do you anticipate Republicans will talk about the ACA? Do you think that we'll see another 2017 repeal and replace scenario in the future? Well, I'm continually surprised that um, in spite of the fact that the Affordable Care Act is now very popular with Americans and not only impacts the 20 some odd million people who have their insurance in state marketplaces, but impacts over 30 million people who have taken advantage of the expanded Medicaid benefits. And states across the country have built the financial resources coming from the federal government into their budget. So getting rid of the Affordable Care Act would have a disastrous effect on millions and millions of Americans. People would lose their pre-existing care guarantees that they could have insurance in the first place. And that's about half of Americans. There would be no logical basis for Medicare rates because they've been changed several times according to the new benefits and new rules of the Affordable Care Act. The expanded Medicaid would go away and likely blow up state budgets across this country because the governors would suddenly be faced with either discontinuing everyone's insurance or coming up with state-only funding for this large number 
of Americans. But in spite of all of those numbers and in spite of that disastrous outcome for millions of Americans, this has been the repeal, replace of the Affordable Care Act has been the central organizing theme of the Republican Party really since Barack Obama was elected president in uh, 2009. It is baffling to me because election after election after election, Americans say we want to keep our health care. We don't like what you're talking about or promoting. We don't think cuts to health care make a lot of sense. And yet across this country, Republicans continue to push that initiative forward. So I don't have any reason to believe that if this again becomes a central theme in the 2024 elections, that once again, the Democratic theme of keeping Medicare strong, keeping Medicaid in place, and making sure that people have affordable health coverage is a very strong and winning message. Totally agree with you, Secretary. So the ACA moved the U.S. closer to universal coverage. So what do you think the next steps of health reform are to make the U.S. health system function more efficiently while also remaining affordable and accessible? Well, I think that most Americans are very concerned about costs and costs continue to rise. And President Biden made some big steps in that area with some of the features in the Inflation Reduction Act with starting the path toward Medicare negotiating for drugs. Medicare buys the most drugs in the world, and it makes totally good sense that negotiation to lower drug costs is part of the puzzle. They've made some additional attempts to look at the high cost of various other services, but the Affordable Care Act set a framework that the government can be a much more active purchaser rather than passive payer. That's begun to not only improve the quality of the health care that people receive, but give, frankly, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services the opportunity to really cut costs and look at uh, value-based purchasing, make sure that the outcomes are lined up with what people are paying for. And I think that's a huge move in the right direction. And the private sector is very much following what the government is doing. So that framework needs to accelerate. We also need to figure out how to get the populations in the 13 states that have not expanded Medicaid affordable coverage. There are millions of people, half of them in Florida and Texas, who still are, frankly, too poor to get any assistance toward health insurance, as um, ironic as that seems. President Biden, again, has proposed a variety of options, and I'm hopeful that if he gets some more support in 2024, that that will be one of the first things that Congress takes up is making sure that uh, the continuum of care envisioned by the Affordable Care Act uh, really is realized for all Americans. Well, Secretary Sibelius, thank you so much for your time today. We know this is a very busy time giving all that's happening in healthcare, and we're just so glad you could join us. Part of our mission here at PPI is to host these conversations on important policy issues, and we really appreciate hearing from one of America's foremost experts in health policy. Secretary, have a great rest of your week, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Erin. Thanks for having me, and um, we look forward to a day when all Americans have affordable, available health insurance. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? 
Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.